Welcome to All About the Benefits. This show is dedicated to helping you better understand the world of benefits so that you can better serve those that serve you. And now, here's your host, Lori Jewett. All right, you guys, welcome back. Thank you for tuning back in. I appreciate you more than you know, and I'm super excited. Um, I'm in a stage of my life that I feel like everything is kind of falling into place, and I am with do you go by Bob or Robert? I go by Bob. Yeah. Okay. Bob Greenaway, I think. I should have asked yes. pronunciation before. I learned my lesson with Dina, not Deanna. Um, <laughs> but we are here today to talk about a lot of cool things that I know a lot of my clients are going to find value in. Um, but Bob, thank you. I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and I'm going to let you kind of do your own intro and tell us, you know, what you do, what your passion is, and we'll take it from there and just have some fun. Fantastic. Well, first, I want to say thank you for having me on here. I'm excited to share um, my message. Uh, a brief history for me, I spent 25 years in a suburban Philadelphia police department um, called Norristown, Pennsylvania. It's very urban. It's about three and a half square miles. And unofficially, there's probably about 60,000 people that live in that area. Uh, throughout that, the course of that career, I started like everybody else as a patrol officer and made my way through the ranks till uh, when I retired, I was a uh, patrol commander and in charge of community relations and all civilian staff. What I learned through that was that um, cops and first responders all in general, they do their duty with a purpose. And um, when I left that, you know, I kind of, I don't want to say I took that for granted, but I, I probably did. And what I learned through that transition to where I sit today was you have to have a plan. So that leads me to the work I do now. And I am a transition coach for first responders leaving duty positions. I focus on police work, but I will talk to anybody in regards to that. And I focus on that because it's one of those things that it, it, in police work in particular, it lends itself for you to see, and you know, especially when you get close to retirement, you see a finish line, right? Well, that kind of lends itself to you thinking the work's done as opposed to looking at that as just a leg of your overall race um, or just a, a season in your life. And we get stumbled up on that. And for me, that's where my passion is. My desire is to help people plan for that transition and to successfully transition into whatever they're going to do. I don't focus on a particular vocation. I focus on the person, you know, on that, you know, that spiritual thought process, that mental process. And physically, you know, a lot of times people leave that job in their physical mess because all their focus is on, you know, surviving to the end. Right. And, you know, paying attention to just getting to the finish line. And there's a lot of stress behind that and a lot of uncertainty. So uh, that's what brings me uh, in front of you today. That's what my desire is. I wrote a book on leadership prior to this, and I'm working on another one focusing on how to better manage uh, post-traumatic stress. So uh, that's me in a nutshell. And uh, once again, I'm happy to be here. Well, that is that is awesome. And I, I want to share with the listeners. I know I shared it with you. Um, I think last Wednesday we talked and I so I had three people or four people, I think, reach out about being on my podcast Wednesday. Three out of the four dealt with some form of mental health. At least yeah. two I know for sure specialize in PTSD. So I'm like, OK, this is this is something I, I don't know where what direction I'm being pushed in, but I, I it definitely is. And then um, as I was pulling up to church on Wednesday night for a, uh, just a meeting, a planning meeting, I got a call from a firefighter client of mine. Um, and he was talking about, essentially he was asking if any of his, um, you know, supplemental policies covered therapy for PTSD because of, you know, the job. And I told him, I said, it is so weird that you called right now because the timing is just kind of, you know, falling into place. And he's like, well, I'm not, I'm not retiring. And I'm like, I, I get that, but still <laughs> you need help with the PTSD now too. Um, yeah. Not just when you're retiring, because 
So I, I was super excited and I've been really looking forward to this. I almost actually reached out and asked if we could do it sooner because I've been, um, you know, really excited because I have a lot, a lot of clients that are police officers and first responders um, that I know a lot of them are nearing retirement age. Um, I, I had one of them actually retired a couple, I guess, a month or two ago and kind of he's like, I don't know, maybe I'll, he even said at the time, he's like, maybe I'll come work with you. I don't know what I want to do <laughs> or where to go from here. So, you know, you, you mentioned that you focus on the person and, you know, their, yeah. their passions. So what does that process look like helping someone figure out, you know, what their next step is? Well, for me, it's, it's like, it's just, it's the epitome of leadership really, because to be effective as a leader, you have to lead somebody from where they're at. Like people don't follow concepts. They follow a person. And for them to do that, they have to know you give a crap. Right. So for me, it just starts with a conversation and all an overwhelming amount of these conversations obviously would start with people that I've known over the years. Some of them are in a really good place. Um, I had a conversation about six months ago with somebody I've known for a really long time. They spent a lot of their career undercover and they had an unforeseen health issue that caused them to become legally blind and they had to move inside to become a criminal analyst, right? Big change for them because they were super, super successful what they did. They did a great job of, you know, removing a lot of violence from the community. Well, they were very focused on where they wanted to live, what that was going to look like, what they were going to do. So it was just a matter of having a conversation and finding out, you know, um, was there anything I could support them with and, you know, putting fillers out there to help them, you know, because they were they were content with going to a certain state. They didn't care where they, they just wanted a job down there that fit how they wanted to move forward. That was easy, you know. In the terms of that, I had another conversation with somebody that their identity was is tied was tied to the job, and we see that all the time. We kind of become the job, and we lose the fact that there's a human in there. That that's just what you do for a living. That's what you were called to do. What you swore to do. So that was a different conversation. We had about an hour and a half conversation. They were, you know going to do some things with their family and um, they haven't gotten back to me. Right. So that is up to them as far as I'm concerned, as far as the space they want to work in, because it all starts with us. Mm -hmm. So that's how it starts for me. Then it becomes, we just really cover where are you at mentally? Where are you at physically? What are your relationships look like? And how are your finances? I'm not a finance guy. There are people in our group and people in other groups, people I know in general that specify working with finances with first responders. You know, so for me, we find out where the deepest water is and I help where I can with that. And then I connect them with somebody who can really dig down into, you know, where they're at. Um, you mentioned the PTSD. To me, they go together. And one of the reasons why is because we're really good at just looking at like a working condition, right? And it really begins with when you go into your training academy, you're told the entire time what a higher standard you have to be held to. To me, that means, well, that means I can't complain about anything, right? You know, so I like to focus on that if people want to talk about that, because I feel if you're not in a good place with that, all that other stuff just looks like muddy water, you know? Um, so for me, that's really where it starts. And then the need just goes from where they're at as a person. That's why I talk about the person. And, you know, the ideal person is somebody that is receptive, knows they need help, is ready to invest in themselves and can be, you know, firmed up and pointed at whatever need that is and that they know what they want to do, what they desire to do, and why it matters. We do so many things that we're just like, oh, it's habituated. We don't know why it matters. What's, well, you know, uh, what I've always done, you know, and as we make this change, the things we did before, a whole lot of them aren't going to serve us in the future. And that's really hard to let go of. But 
to me, that's where the idea of the fact that I've lived that, I'm living it. I come from a position where they know that I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So we can have conversations that you maybe not going to have with a therapist you just met, you know, um, it's a completely different situation. So that's why I talk about as a person, I focus on that person. And it's got to be, like you said, so much easier for them to talk to you knowing that you've been there. You understand, you know, what they're going through. And um, one thing that I'm kind of just curious about is what kind of, you know, directions, you know, passions, paths have you helped people get to or in the process of helping people get to? I, you know, the overwhelming amount of it is, is, and I, you know, and I see it as incremental because it's how it happened with me. I thought I had a plan and my plan was to be uh, contracted to the federal government to do background investigations for people who needed security clearances, in particular in the aerospace industry. I have a friend who does that, not the aerospace industry, but background checks for the contractor. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's overwhelmingly how those those backgrounds get done. The reason for the aerospace industry is it was a niche and it was something my wife had been doing for at that point. 13 years. So it was something we could become contractors for. This is the part of why is it, why did it matter to me? I get to spend a lot more time with her. Our children are adults. It gave me more opportunities to go visit them. They live in a different state, you know, and it made a lot of sense. So for me, that was a step. It made sense until it didn't, you know, it kind of played out its course and COVID accelerated that because we could not go to any facilities that allow us to do the work of effectively ending our business. So we pivoted. My wife pivoted into the private industry in the aerospace. Uh, she's doing really well with that. And, you know, this is getting kicked off, but I'm having a lot of momentum. This has been since March. I have a lot of momentum. I've had a lot of conversations. I have a lot of other things in the works. Um, you know, so I'm very excited about it, but I say all that to say a lot of times they want to take that first step that's safe. And to me, that's fine because it's like that never discourage anybody that's making progress, no matter how slow. When they acknowledge that porch sitting isn't a strategy, that whatever they think they made in their drop pension or whatever, you know, it's just money. It Money never fuels purpose, right? And so it's like, to me, that's the step. So the overwhelming amount of them just take a step into something that kind of looks like policing, something that feels like it's in their wheelhouse. Uh, the harder conversations are to have with people that walk away from the job with a bad taste in their mouth. They never want to carry a gun again. They never going to go to an FOP meeting. They never want to see a cop again. Like they just, they don't want anything to do with that. Well, you went from that's what you did so now you just threw a hand grenade into that room, right? So it's like, that's a thing where there's a lot deeper space to go. Um, I just got done putting together a digital course on this. Um, and it's in the hands of the person that's editing it and putting it together to package, to put out there for folks. But I covered that in one of the final lessons about what jobs are out there, being aware of what skills transfer. Like we're great at selling. Most cops are like, I don't want to sell anything. You sell all the time. Absolutely. You know, firefighters the same way, man. You know, like paramedics, you name first responders, uh, you know, military. We all sell. We sell when the stakes are really high, not, well, I just didn't make the commission. So getting people to understand that you know how to do that's a big step. You know, so that's where I focus on that. And really, I've talked to a couple different people that are uh, – really interested in real estate. And I think for somebody that, you know, has that frame of mind, that's a easier transition. I think what's harder for most people is if they really want to, I'll use this term, even though it's kind of odd, reinvent themselves. Cause I look at it like you're just transitioning mm -hmm. where they need to go back to school. Um, maybe they need to further their education. They need to get a certification. Well, then that to me, the, the big work gets done on, um, avoiding imposter syndrome, right? Like, no, hey, you know what? You did all that. Now you're just like anybody else that's doing something for the first time. You're going to kind of suck at it because 
you know, it's like you didn't think about giving up walking when you were a kid. You just kept going until you walk, you know, so this is the same thing, you know, so it's kind of been, I won't say all over the spectrum, uh, but to me, again, it just comes back to wherever you want to go with that. I want to support you in that. And if there's a resource I can give you, um, you know, I'm going to do that. And that's to me is what's super important about being in groups that support each other, that mentor each other, there's something to learn every day. And there's an opportunity to help other people find a better path. Yeah. And I, I absolutely love that. And one of the things that I wrote down that you just said that I needed to hear, I think every time I do a podcast interview, there's at least one nugget that sticks with me that it's, you know, and I've said this on here before, but I was interviewing somebody one day and they, he said, he, um, I don't remember exactly how he worded it, but basically the coolest part of starting a podcast is you get free coaching, but for just putting people's yeah. word out there. And you know, you said money never fuels purpose. And I, my husband and I um, have worked together for 13 years and we are in the middle of a really big transition and I'm trying to find my purpose and where my next step is. I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay on as an agent and take care of my clients. Cause I love my clients. Um, but I'm trying to find my purpose. And so I wrote that down and underlined it because that's something that I needed to hear right now. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you. You are, you're welcome. Yes. Now that's great. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, not a former first responder or anything like that, but it's still the, the information you're giving out is applicable to everybody that is, you know, transitioning or reinventing or whatever, like you said, whatever you want to call it. So I think that's great. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of clients that go from, you know, when they retire from, you know, police work, go and become, you know, school resource officers and things like that to stay in, um, you know, in, in the world that they know. And, you know, we have, there's actually a lot of people that are involved in the company that I'm in that left police work and went into insurance sales. Cause like you say, you have to have people skills to, to be any form of first responder. Yeah. You have to, and you're, you're, like you said, you're, you're absolutely in sales, which I'm a firm believer that we're all in sales, parenting sales. You're yeah. selling your kids on the idea of going to bed or, you know, not wearing mismatched socks, whatever it is. But so, you know, I, when you said that I had to smile because I had some people came to mind that are, I know are very, very successful in sales that come from that background. So. Yeah, no, um, I, and I think it's just, it's one of those things that, um, I heard, I, was, I guess a couple months ago, it's a, well, maybe it was the beginning of this month. I, I was on a, um, a seminar virtually, right? And the person that was putting this forward, I don't know if you know who Garrett White is, Garrett J. White. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he said that for us to be able to make a change is we have to be brutally honest. We have to expose ourselves and we have to carry the same truth in every circumstance, right? Well, cops are really good at being somebody different at work than they are at home. And they do that enough that there's a lot of space for you to not even know who the hell you are personally, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and when that comes to visit is when the duty ends, because you could go, and this is kind of where the PTSD thing comes from. And I hate the D part, so I'm just going to call it PTS because uh, I don't like labels. Like, you know, when you label something a disorder, we immediately have to have a whole different, different scramble to have a conversation. But where that really hit me was the idea that when you have something screwy go on at work, you go home, you can stuff it away however you like but then you're going to get to go back and bury it behind a bunch of other goofy stuff that goes on. And then that goes on and on until it doesn't go on anymore. You can't, you know, oh, I can't think about that. I'm going to go to the grocery store. Well, that doesn't stop anything. It's not emergent enough. It doesn't switch gears to put that back there where we'll deal with it later. So that to me is why that idea of what do you really desire to do and why does it matter? Even if you don't jump into that first, it has to be a thought process because I agree with you. I know people that um, back East way I came from some of the school districts actually have their own police department wow. and they're inevitably made up with from the chief down to all patrol officers, people that are either retired or made a transition from other policing 
right? And I look at it like they're happy and that's good for them. But I also have in the back of my mind, they're going to walk away from that sometime too. So if they didn't address this properly, all they did was delay the dilemma. You know what I mean? So for me, that's, that's why it's so important to get clear on these things. Because even if you are super happy of being a, a school resource officer and you know that that's just, you're going to be good to go, you're just going to be that much better if you remove any doubt in that that was the path you should have headed be, to begin with, you know? So for me, it doesn't matter where you're headed. And like you said, it's good information for anybody. But for me, you can't lead from where you don't live. So this is where I live. And that's why I focus on those folks. And I am completely biased towards first responders when it comes to my compassion for how they their next season is after they leave. Um, you know, there's countless people that didn't fare well. They either intentionally took their lives, made lifestyle choices they knew were going to take their lives, or they just never got it together and they just, um, they're miserable to be around and it just gets worse and worse and it impacts their relationships to the point where, you know, five years down the road, you, you know, they're missing a ring, right? You know, so that's why it's so important to me. Well, and I love that you are focused on that. You know that that is your passion, your purpose where, yeah, you could probably help all these people, but that, and honestly, after the last, what, two to four years, however long it's been since all the craziness with, you know, around police officers, I can't imagine how much harder it's gotten to do that job. And I've talked with some of my clients about it um, and just how much harder it is to, you know, put the uniform on every day, especially back when it was really bad, at least from what I was hearing. And they were, you know, they're still around here, police, um, uh, busting, or people are coming in and walking through like courthouses recording with masks on because illegally they can. And, you know, things like that are happening and you don't know, you know, all of my like courthouse, the, the people that work in these county courthouses, they have no idea, especially the first time it happened. These people come in with masks and cameras. They thought that they were about to be involved in a shooting or something. Yeah. And it, it not being in that world. I mean, I, the, the closest I get to that is, you know, once a year I spend like five days during squadroom shift changes. And those are my favorite times because my cops are my people. I, I maybe should have gotten into that field. I don't know, but um, it just seems like it's gotten a lot harder and the, you know, suicide rate probably has increased because of the even more fear of you know your life and what you're going to see that day. Does that, I mean, are you seeing that as being a bigger issue? I, I think it is right. Um, you know, intuitively, or I guess I would say anecdotally, I would think that the suicide thing um, is definitely a much bigger issue. And that's something else that um, I've been involved in over the years. I was um, a certified suicide prevention counselor. And it, it come, and to me, kind of circles back to that, what I was saying. I don't think I did a great job explaining it, but that statement that Garrett White meant about, like, you have to have one truth. A lot of those thoughts come from the fact that, you know, you get to the point where now you no longer are attached to the place where you feel like you can go back and even the scales. Um, We're asked to do perfect things in really imperfect situations. And thank God, most of the time, the results are acceptable. But when they're not, they're really crapo, right? Like they're just really garbage results. And then when you quit being able to go back to like, and again, this is from my frame of mind, but it's also, I think, certainly from conversations I've had where you don't have a place to go back anymore to, well, I couldn't fix that. Well, I have a new chance today to do something that outshines that in the universal scales. When you don't get to go back to do that anymore is really when, well, I'm not even doing anything that resembles what I thought I was destined to do. I go somewhere and I collect money that has no purpose. It's just money, right? You know, because then you're on the same level as a really crappy car salesman who sell you a piece of junk. He's doing it for money. Is that what you're doing? You know, so when you're truthful with yourself about what you really want, what things really were, what you could have really done, and you carry that truth all the time, 
it changes the narrative in your head. But when you talked about like the thing in the courthouse with the mask and all that, if the public narrative was just truthful all the time, like if there was a mass statement, hey, these people coming in here with masks and cameras, they scare us. Not, well, we'll call the cops and hope they sort that. And if it goes bad, well, boy, they screwed that up because now I can throw that on somebody that solved the problem and I didn't have to have a hard conversation or make a stand. So to me, it's all relative. If I'm really truthful with myself and I hold everybody around me to that same standard, you know, I'm going to feel much better about how I left things when I walk away, you know? So that's why I, I just felt like I needed to dig into that a little bit better. That's why I think that being brutally truthful is a really good first step for people to understand why they feel the way they do about these different phases in this. Yeah. And I, I'm taking notes too. I'm a note taker. Um, me too. Yeah. Nobody else will understand my notes, but to me, they're like, they're perfect. And I'll look back and be like, Oh yeah. PTS take the D out. Um, yeah. And that, when you said that, that actually struck me because my book that I'm writing is on my life with ADHD. See, and move the D. Exactly. I love that. So yeah. I wrote it down and crossed out the D. I think that's, um, you know, fantastic. So what, I know that, you know, we kind of message back and forth a little bit, but what are some of the things that you think is really important for people to know? I love the, you know, the, the truth thing and being brutally honest. Um, whether, you know, it's transitioning out after retirement or even people that are still in police work that yeah. are struggling with the PTSD and have kind of hit that wall of being able to cover it up. I, it, it has to come, like, it always starts with us. You know what I mean? Um, I talked earlier about how it, it's really enculturalized in the, the training academies. But, you know, when you have a duty job, you swear in the Bible to be something that's the standard, which right is perfect. So you're trying to reach for that. Um, but that's the standard you get held to, you know? So the idea of being able to go talk about it, like uh, as a country, we really suck on providing peer support. And then don't get me wrong. There's been some great efforts, but one of the dynamics in peer support, unless you're in a really big police department, a big metropolitan department or a department with at least a couple hundred people that there's always a fair amount of people off when you're working that can be called in to sit with you and have you talk in real time about what you just absorbed. It's less effective. And I'll use the example of where I worked, you know, um, at one point in the early nineties, we had, I think, like 82 people that worked there. When I retired, there were 74. It's a decent-sized police department, but it's not big enough that if you have a shift of 10 to 12 people working, there was a shift of 10 to 12 that worked eight hours before. There's a shift of 10 to 12 that's going to come in behind you. Then you have the rest that are off. There's something really critical that we need to go back to the, you know, the station and regroup to call people in to sit with you that weren't on that can to just, you know, objectively dissect it. They probably don't work there. So their perspective, as much as they might want to try is probably different, you know, and especially if it's in a place where you have the way Pennsylvania's laid out, you have Philadelphia, you have Pittsburgh, Harrisburg in the middle and a whole bunch of wilderness in between. So you have a lot of two to 10 person police departments their exposure to things that people in really densely populated places is different, right? And it's not lost on anybody in that interaction that that's the case. So finding a place where there's a real-time ability to debrief is tough. So it falls back on the individual. So when you swear to do that, understand you're swearing to do the best you can, but you're human and you have to seek help, right? But to me, the mental part is really tied to the physical part, too. Um, you know, I went through various pieces in my, my career where I was in outstanding shape, but then I went through places where I was as much as 100 pounds overweight. I was just a stressful mess, uh, very depressed. You know, even, you know, I'll say this now, I never said it then, but it's to my point, suicidal, right? 
Um, just didn't know what to do. I felt like I had failed physically. I certainly wasn't in the right place mentally. And I knew when I went to work, I wasn't holding up my end of the bargain, but I didn't know what to do about it. Um, you know, it eventually took the untimely death, off-duty death of my training officer, who I was extremely close to, to go to a counselor to deal with that grief. And then it just went off like a hand grenade, right? Mm -hmm. Thank God. And that really changed the way I looked at things. So for me, it, it's you have to be truthful with yourself and it has to start with you. But then you have to be that person. It always starts somewhere, the person that goes in and talks to the chief or whoever and says, look, we're not doing this well. And we're, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us in lives. It's, and, you know, and I'll speak to you in a terms and ministers understand it costs a lot of money. You know, with somebody five, six, eight, ten years on the job, that's wisdom that you can't remanufacture other than the same amount of time. So you regaining or breaking even on that investment if they leave or take their own lives or die from health concerns, right? You're not recouping that for probably a decade if you do, you know? And in that meantime, you're making up for lost ground if you can. So it, it just, it always starts with the individual and then the next step to me is the individual departments. They need to look at this like it's just as serious as any other training and make it part of training, you know, to me to start, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I don't think people realize and think about that I've discovered just from having so many friends that are officers is, you know, local to us, relatively local to us. Several years ago, a police officer was shot in a, Hopefully he listens to this because he's one of my favorite people ever, um, but was shot in a very bad format. And I think it was, I, think, I don't remember the exact date, but I think it was four years ago. And last I heard was a couple months ago, he was having his last surgery. And, you know, the community rallied around not only him, but the entire department. And I think something that doesn't get talked about enough is what everybody else went through, seeing this happen to their friend, knowing that anytime they get out of their car at a traffic stop, th that is a possibility. And I don't know behind the scenes what the department did or anything for everybody, but I do know that the community rallied around. These guys ate like kings for like a year because yeah. there was people yeah. bringing, you know, bringing food yeah. and, and kind notes. We see all the negative stuff on the news, right? We see all the like anti-police stuff. There are a lot of us out there that support and love and appreciate are, you know, police officers and first responders. So I think for me, I was naive to the fact that all of the, the guys and girls, you know, the everybody, because, you know, we have male and female police officers, um, they were going through a really hard time as well. And I, yeah. I, I hadn't thought about that. In the back of my head, I'm like, why is everybody, you know, and this is something I've never said out loud, but I mean, it's cool that people are taking them food and stuff, but why? And then I got in the squad room for the next open enrollment and I started hearing the things come out of, you know, yeah. and a lot of my friends that are police officers, deal, which is probably why I love them. They deal with things with like twisted humor and yeah. you know, cover, cover it up, hide it. But I would have never thought about how it was affecting everybody else that this happened to, you know, their friend, not just their coworker, yeah. their friend. Well, for me, it's like, a, you know, having gone through uh, those scenarios, there's a, a mixture of stuff, right? Number one, it's like you're sad and angry. You're sad that the person's gone. You're angry that it happened to them. But then there's part of you that, and everybody's just like the elephant in the room. Everybody's glad they're still alive. And then they feel guilty for the fact they're glad that survivor's guilt, right? It's a real thing. Then it becomes one of those things, too, that um, you want to remember, but you want to move on. And then you never know where the threshold is. Do we, did we respect them enough? Is it time to go and move on? And then there's this thing that came up in the instance where I talked about, um, you know, my training officer. He had he was in on his second divorce. and. I don't know whether it was intentional or unintentional, but he never made any adjustments to his will or life insurance, right? So his new family, as in a new wife and a, a small child, 
um, didn't have the same benefits as that of the family that he left, right? Oh, wow. And so that sent a whole other thing. And I was astounded at the amount of people I worked with that didn't have wills, that didn't have a proper amount of life insurance, um, you know, or just had the basic insurance that the department gives you, which is really okay if you get killed on duty, but not much well, you know, being in the business, yeah, it doesn't offer much else if you like, you know, fall off your ladder putting up Christmas lights and don't make it, you know. Um, or once you retire and you lose it, a lot of times and you lose it. Like, and I was in that, that's another whole thing that people don't plan for. I planned for it, but it was one of those things that I worked in a place that was fairly economically depressed to the point where I think when I left about 37% of the population paid taxes and the rest was, you know, receiving some type of assistance from that 37%. Wow. Well, they're not paying any post you know, retirement benefits we get, um, you know, whatever your up to $500, they offset whatever your copay a, a month is. And anything above that, you just get 500 and you eat the rest. So for me, you know, um, when I first left, because my wife was self-employed and I became self-employed and we started a business, we're paying almost $1,800 a month in health insurance, right? Um so that was one of the things that you don't think about. It's just, there's all these things that if you don't build it before you need it, by planning for this thing and understanding it's going to get different, it becomes, it just becomes this yoke that's like, what the hell do I do with this? You know, um, so it, it, it always starts with us. It always comes back to us. It begins and ends with us. And that whole thing, like you said, with the PTSD or the PTS or just, uh, you know, traumatic memories, um, you have to be the one that steps up for yourself because I don't care what your spouse does for a living, your significant other does for a living. If they weren't there, they don't understand. Um, if you go there to talk to people who weren't working that day, they understand more than others, but they still don't understand. And if you talk to the people that were there with you at that time, that's a beginning to see what everybody else's perspective was. And I, you know, and I know I saw them standing over there. I know they saw it too. And now I just feel a lot more okay about putting that out there, you know? Um, so I know it's a long answer, but that's the, the, to me, it's super important that it starts with the people that experienced it. And then it just works its way out from there. Yeah. And that makes, again, that's another one of those things that I would, am naive. I never would have thought about that because in my, you know, perfect world of looking in from the outside, it's, oh, well, they know what they went through because they're in the same field, right? They, they've, no, you're absolutely right. It, it's, I had never thought of it that way. So you're opening my eyes to a lot today. I appreciate it. Good. Um, and a big part of it is, is the, the type of things that are experienced because it goes from, you know, being super mundane and habituated to seeing things that you, you couldn't invent, you know. So when the, the community reaches out, um, you know, it, it feels good. It feels really good. And it reaffirms what you said before that, you know, it's much more like about 80% of the public, 90% of the public would not know what to do without first responders. And then the other ones, even a small percentage of them just fall in a camp where they do what's popular in their circle because that's their alignment. Yep. You know, and they're afraid to, to break rank, um, you know, and that that's something they have to live with. Right. But it just feels good to be reinforced that, you know, this is not a, a war zone. This just happened to be a place where that thing happened. But the majority of the people on this block or in the street want to see us do our job to the best of our ability and go home that night and see us do that and do that and do that until it's time to leave, you know? Um, so it's really reinforcing, you know, and it's, I'm glad that you, you had the honesty to bring that up because I think a lot of people, you know, they don't say anything, but they're thinking like, you know, um, that's like the 900 pizza delivered to that place. Like, is that enough? You know what I mean? But well, no, it isn't, you know, um, it probably isn't. And then I think some of the other thing of that too is it's a smaller thing is 
for some people, I think it um, lessens maybe their guilt that they feel about the fact that they didn't call about this person that they knew was a dangerous person. And, you know, police get involved in something that they really didn't know about, but everybody knew, but did this. And now look what happened. Right. So they have to deal with their own trauma afterwards too. You know, it's people downplay the fact that if you live next door to somebody that got in a gunfight with the police and you witnessed all that, you're going to be traumatized. Yeah. You're never probably going to feel as safe on that block as you did. You know, you're probably just not, you know, then there's the whole aftermath of what happens at that house. Did they rent it? Did they buy it? Who's going to move in next? Like there's just, and that's all the reality that we just act like, well, this thing happened. It's much more important. That stuff will take care of itself. Well, that's not true. Mm-hmm. All those details matter too. So I think that all plays into why the community really pours it on when something tragic happens. So as we near the end and, you know, finalize this conversation, which has been amazing for me, at least it's opened my eyes. Um, what I'm a helper. I want to do things. I have the, I have all these great ideas and I'm like, I'm going to do this. And then I don't get around to it. So for those of us that want to do something to show our support to not even in a bad time, just anytime, what is something that, you know, for a, you know, a police officer or a, a police department that aside from bringing cookies, cause everybody's doing that. Um, when I brought cookies during that whole situation, one of the other ladies in another department of the county, she said, um, everybody's bringing good cookies. Those are Meyer cookies. Those probably got thrown away. And I was like, in here, I thought I was doing something nice. But so then I went home and ordered them really good cookies to be delivered because I'm like, Mm-mm, nobody's going to want up me. But <laughs> hopefully I'm getting to the point of my question of what is something we can do to make we're not going to be able to fix the PTS like no. little old me. But what is something we can do to make people feel appreciated and know that they're not alone? I, I think one of the biggest things that, um, you know, is really important, you know, this isn't a political statement. It's just a narrative of how our government in this country is structured. Every community has a governing body that some do a great job on supporting their first responders. A whole bunch just kind of look at like a line item that costs entirely too much and they're not sure what they get back. Because, Policing doesn't produce anything. It just demands a lot of resources and energy. And it's just this cycle that eats itself. Same way with firefighters, right? You know, you can say, well, they saved part of that building or they prevented this, but it's still the same thing. So to me, it it can be in the ballot box. It can be understand community things when you see something that doesn't sound right like if you live in a community where they're they're on the defund the police thing go ask them what that means write them letters go to meetings say hey i want to understand because the stress that comes from the fact of not feeling appreciated which like you said i've been retired since uh, january 28th of 2018 from policing a lot has changed and i cannot imagine you know, there are times where you just feel like it's it, us, you know, um, under the best of governing circumstances. But right now, I, I can't imagine what that feels like. And there's why there's so many people leaving prematurely because the juice is no longer worth the squeeze. So I think that's something that without, you know, going beyond the fact that you support them and send them meals or, you know, have somebody go down and drop cookies off Christmas day when, you know, people are working and they're not home is to hold public officials in your local media accountable for the truth and to give you the product that you want. Right. And I'm going to screw this up. And it's one of my favorite sayings. It's from Robert Kennedy. And he said that, uh, you know, society gets the criminal they deserve, but what is equally true, a community gets the policing they demand. Right. So it's always up to you as a, you know, as a public on how far you're going to let people take an narrative you don't agree with, you know. Um, And that to me is a really big step that's within anybody's power. If you can vote, you have a voice, you know how to write, you have time. Find out what 
areas you don't agree with, that doesn't congruent with your values and what you want from your public safety, and go hold those people that make the decisions accountable to the level where they have to at least explain why they made the choice, not because they want to be reelected or, you know, that was, you know, I got a free car to drive for six months because I voted on that. I'm just being realistic. We know that it goes on, right? So to me, that is, that's, that is probably immeasurable, right? Because if everybody unified on those things, a lot of these conversations wouldn't even need to take place. A lot of that stuff would be reduced. The job's hard enough without manufactured external stuff, you know, for sure. So I think that's the biggest step. And thank you for asking that question because a lot of people wouldn't think to ask that. So I, I really appreciate you asking that question. Well, that answer went a totally different direction than I expected, but I love it because it's changing my mindset. In my head, I'm like, things are clicking as you're saying that, that okay, we do need to be, yes, taking cookies is great. And I'm sure they appreciate the, you know, 900 pizzas or whatever. Um, but actually showing that support, you know, like you said, yeah. at, at the ballots, at, you know, all, all of those things. So that is incredibly helpful for me. So hopefully somebody else on here got something out of that. And I know that a lot of my listeners are, well, actually, hopefully all of them support the police. Um, but I know the majority of them do. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I have one of my best friends and she laughs because I mention her in every podcast, but it's because she's the one that holds me accountable. When a Monday rolls by that a podcast episode isn't released, I get a text. Hey, what's going yeah. on? Like, she's my accountability partner and she didn't even know it. Um, but I know that, you know, she's one of those people. She, on like ballot day, she'll text me. This is who supports this because I, I kind of keep my head buried in the sand under a lot of things. I'm, I would never be able to do what you've done. Um, because of the, I take, I'm so empathetic that I take everything. So it, if I watch a news article, it will stay with me forever and I'll have nightmares about it. Um, but she'll text me like the list between her and my father-in-law. I get every voting day. I get the list of this is what they stand for. Yeah. This is what this, this is, you know, who supports the the police. This is who we want to go away. Um, so I, I really hope that I'll, if at least one other listener gets something from this other than me, um, I think that's great to be more involved and vocal and yes, take the cookies and pizza, but also stand yeah. up. Yeah. Cause at the end, if you, th in the end, if you think about that, that's the piece that no matter how empathetic or how outstanding your, your, you know, your neighborhood police officer is, he has a holding environment. He has a glass ceiling and they're the people that sit in the offices on the upper floors. Right. So they need to understand what you expect them to do to stay in their office in the upper floor to allow this to be more synergistic in a whole community and leave police do their job and support them in that, even when it's imperfect. Um, you know, and that that's a message I think gets sent really clearly when people who have a you know an improper value system when it comes to that understand that they're on the outside looking in now and then they see that culture shift, you know, um, I think that's the clearest message anybody can send when it comes to that. And, and I love that. And I, um, as we end this, I want to one, thank you for what you do, because I think it's awesome that your thank passion you. is helping other people find and act on their passion. That's really, yeah. Cool. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, you know, it's, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, it's 10 Xing what I feel to help them do the same, you know, and I would absolutely be into having more conversations with you about this. Um, Cause I think that, you know, we just scratched the surface when it comes to this stuff for sure. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Um, I would love that. And I also, when we end, I'm going to send you, you, you need to reach out to Michelle Hill. If you haven't already, she, um, now her podcast, is, it's the junk project, her, her trade, what she does is she owns a junk removal business, but her podcast is a lot more about removing the emotional junk just as much as, you know, physical junk and, you know, essentially dealing with what's going on inside. And I really, yeah. really think that you guys could have a great conversation. Um, she's, and she's, she's just a genuinely awesome person too. love her to death, but um, 
Yeah. So let's definitely plan, you know, whenever you're ready, maybe, maybe as I am kind of like figuring out where all of this fits into my passion and purpose, we could totally have, you know, have a a different, a completely different conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And and thank you for uh, telling me about Michelle. We get off of here. I'll definitely uh, look her up and make a connection. And if, if you go, if you go, I'm not going to put her business out here, but if you go back in her post in Apex about, I would say about a month ago, you, you'll see that you'll be able to help her with something that she needs help dealing with too. So, um, uh, that's outstanding. Yeah. So I it, it, about halfway through our conversation that clicked and I'm like, oh, he needs to talk to Michelle for multiple reasons. Um, yeah. and she's just fun to talk to. So good. Yeah. Good. Well, as so. you can tell, I love to talk. So yeah. same. Yeah. I'm like, wait, I can talk and put it out for the world to hear. Okay. Done. Yeah. But well, I will, um, I'll make sure that we drop your link somewhere to find you. And if you didn't give it to me already, um, when you booked, shoot me a message with the link to your, your first book. Cause I would love not only to order it, but to put it out there for other people. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah. I'll send you my, I have a, a link tree page that has my, my website, the link to my book and, um, some, some other information on there but yeah. it's all in one thing so I'll, I'll send you that because I, I i think i did but i'm not certain but i will send it anyway again and i really appreciate that i appreciate you having me on here um you know it's one of those things that the more airs this lands on the, the better effect it's gonna have you know for sure so i really appreciate it yeah well i i appreciate what you're doing for the community because this is it's huge and i didn't even realize there was really a need for it until like six days ago. So <laughs> yeah. when I first talked to you, but, and then it all kind of started falling in place, but well, I appreciate you being on. We'll do this again. Um, yes. And I will, um, I'm super excited. I think I'm actually going to get this edited and aired today because nice. Uh, well, if I can get it edited in time, it may be tomorrow, but I, I really want this to get out. I've already have a handful of people that I'm like, as soon as it airs, I'm texting it to you. So um, really looking forward to getting this one out there. Normally there's a couple of weeks between episodes, but every once in a while there's one that I'm like, this needs to be out now. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, well, thank you so much, Lori. I really, really appreciate it. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to how everything goes and I'm sure that this will, this will, if it helps at least one person, well, then it was worth our conversation, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's what everybody keeps telling me about everything. So, well, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you got a lot out of this. Um, make sure you go. I'm going to, well, by the time you're listening, it'll already be in the comments, but um, I'll put the link to his book and websites and the link tree thing. So check him out and let's get the word out and, you know, find ways that we can not just with food, but support our, our police departments. So thank you all so much. And I will see you next week. Bye, Bob. Thank you thank again. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of All About the Benefits. Be sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show. This way you'll get notifications as new episodes become available. Until next time, friends. 